are in the middle of a sermon series entitled, The Best is Yet to Come. So I want to ask you a question. Are you ready for God's word? Come on, let me ask it again. Are you ready for God's word? See, I've learned that when you, when you ask a question of an audience, it requires them to engage immediately. They have to engage. They have to answer the question. And so my hope is that you would lean forward in your heart, that you would lean forward in your, in your spirit. Now you can kick back and relax guys, but your spirit needs to lean forward needs to have anticipation because think about the title. The best is yet to come means you have to, you have to anticipate something good. You got to believe that God has something great for us. And you know, we talked about last week, that great thing that he has for us is the rapture. And some of us, I, I already know, get nervous when the pastor starts talking about the rapture, starts talking about end times, starts talking about these kinds of things. You get nervous. But can I share something with you? I understand. And I understand that to be human is to... Is to, is to like to be in control. Don't we like to be in control? Don't we? Some of us live under that delusion that we are actually in control, right? How many of us have figured out the more we live, we're not in control of anything. We're just, we're just living. And that's kind of the way God wants it. God wants you to understand right off the bat, Hey, you don't control it. I control it. And you have to trust. And if you trust him, and this is the kind of thing that people get, get, get a little nervous about the rapture because um, change can be scary. And we're creatures of habit, aren't we not? And some of us are saying, I'm just now getting used to the world. I'm just now getting used to earth. And now you're talking about tra- teleporting, transporting, getting zapped up or whatever in this thing called the rapture. I don't know. What about my children? And, 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 and some of you have asked those questions. What about my children? And what about our relationship and my marriage? And what about family? And what about this? And all the things that I love and enjoy. Can I tell you something? Who created those things? Whose idea was it? It's not like I got, I, I came to, like, to being and, and I was born and just said, you know what? I think I'll create marriage. No, God created marriage. That's why when people ask about the definition of marriage, I just say, you know what? Who am I to define it? Let's just go to God's word. It's his idea. He's the creator of it. He's the one that instituted the family. And so if he did it, how many of us know we can trust him? And if he says it's going to be beyond your wildest dreams, then it's going to be beyond your wildest dreams. And my wife was asking me the other day, because we talk about the message all week long, and she was like, you know, do you think we'll still be together in heaven? I said, absolutely. She goes, but there's going to be so many people, are you still going to want to be with me? I said, baby, if I could live two lifetimes with you, I would. And I would live through eternity with her. God put us together. He's not going to separate us. God is a bringing together type of God. So I want you just to, now some are are getting a little nervous when we talk about end time things because you start to feel like, well, will I make it? Can I set your heart at ease? You have a hundred percent chance and opportunity to make it to heaven. hundred percent. God is for you. Amen. God wants you to be in heaven. God moved from heaven all the way down to earth. He sent his son to hang on the cross with you and mine. Oh, but you don't understand my sin. Oh, but you don't understand how much I've done. Oh, but you just stop bragging. You're not greater than God. 
God's gift on the cross. Your sin's not greater than it. God knew exactly what you would do before you did it. And he still sent Jesus to cover it. Amen. So quit having pride in all the wrong things. But my sin is so great. How about saying, but God, you are greater still. Amen. And all you have to do is give your life to Jesus Christ. You know what? Pastor, it's that easy. No, no, it's a hard thing to do for a human to give his life away. To open up his life and say, Lord, come in and take over. And that's why even then you need his help. So just continuously walk humble and say, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. I confess faith in you. I trust you, God. I'm not going to hold on tight to this world. I'm going to believe for a greater. And I can't wait to take that flight. Some of us have to have that desire to take flight. Amen. And that's what I want to spark in you today. I want to spark in you the desire to go home. Now I can remember being on, on, on holiday. That's what they call it over there. You know, I've run into a bunch of Germans and, and, uh, and, uh, guys from Europe and they're all talking about holiday. And I'm like, what's holiday? They say vacation for y'all. Okay. So I was on vacation holiday. And, uh, how many of you, when you get to the end of your holiday vacation, you're ready to go home. Now it's not that you didn't enjoy it and you couldn't stay longer, but if it's the last day, let's just get with it. Right? Because once it's the last day, then, then the hotel is telling you, hey, you gotta check out, and the airline is sending you check-in instructions, and they're telling you all about your COVID instructions, and all about this and that, and, and you're just kinda living in that limbo, and it's not cool to live in the ho- in the hotel lobby, you know what I mean? And you're waiting for your ride, and then you gotta, you gotta wait in the waiting area at the gate, uh, uh, and you gotta check in for your airline, and all this stuff. How many of you, when you just get to that point you're like just get me on the plane let's get on with it am I the only one raise your hand if you're like me and you're like let's just get on with it you know had a good time it was real it was fun but it wasn't real no I'm just kidding it was real fun right but but now it's time to go home some of us have to get that mindset for earth this is not your home quit building sandcastles say to yourself Lord Jesus come quickly I'm ready to get this show on the road That's what the New Testament church felt. And they would actually greet each other and dismiss one another with Maranatha, which meant what? Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord Jesus, come quickly. And that's the way we need to feel in our hearts. Lord Jesus, come quickly. I'm tired of being in the lobby. I'm tired of being in the, at the terminal. I'm tired of waiting on the plane. Let's get this show on the road. And that's called the rapture. The Bible says that the rapture will take place in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, you'll hear the trumpet sound, the cry or the shout of the archangel, something within you will rise to attention. I mean, God will call from deep to deep and you will know that your savior, your creator, your everything has calling you and there will be no time For anything but responding to what has already taken place. And that's why last week we say it's not a matter of getting ready. Sometimes you have to just be ready. And that's why the day of salvation is today. You've got to be ready for that. You say, but what about my children? Guess what? They're in. Tell them about Jesus. If they're too young, then they're in. But this is my point. 
That twinkling of an eye is very, very specific. In the Greek, it's where we get the word Adam from. It's the smallest fraction of, of a time period. It's a moment. It's the smallest moment you could fracture. It's going to be so quick that will be no more time for repentance, remorse, for prayers of confession, or for a prayer of salvation. You're either in or you're out at that moment. That's why you've got to be ready. Amen? You don't get ready when you step onto the football field to, to play for a, uh, um, a Super Bowl. You don't get ready when you step onto the field to play for a World Cup. You come ready. You are ready. Guess what? You don't get ready for the rapture. You are ready for the rapture. Today is the day of salvation. Now the Bible says this day is coming any moment. Do you realize that that the New Testament church thought it could happen in their lifetime? And you say, oh, how silly. No, it changed the way they felt about life and they and they. They lived with such a fervor for their king because they felt he could come at any moment and it, they changed the course of human history, the New Testament church did. You say, but pastor, I don't want to live under that delusion. They were kind of deluded. They, they didn't really understand. All. Can I tell you, your generation is the generation that will see Christ. You go, how can you be so certain? Because the prophecy is pointing to it. And God's word never lies. You say, okay, well, show me. All right, we talked about this last week. Now learn this from the fig tree. I shared with you that the fig tree is a representation of Israel and everyone knows it. The Jewish rabbis understood this, that the fig tree is a representation of Israel. We see Jesus talk to the fig tree as he meant Israel. We also know that that, um, Hosea, mentions the fig tree representing Israel. We know that uh, Jeremiah does the same and, and many other prophets because the fig tree represents Israel. Do you also realize that the vine represents Israel and the olive tree represents Israel? But there's different representations for that in that the vine is the spiritual status or privilege of Israel. The olive tree is the religious or the privilege of God's word to Israel. Do you know we can share in those two? As the church, we share in those two. But the fig tree is exclusively Israel's status or privilege as a nation. It's their national privilege. We can't share in that as Gentiles. And so it's interesting when God uses the fig tree here, he's saying, check out the national status of Israel to see what's going on and watch. When take this lesson from the fig tree, as soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. We talked about that last week. If you want to go listen, you can listen because we talked about Jesus at the door knocking. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Whoa. So how long is a generation? I knew you'd ask. And Jesus and God did too. So he put it in his word. In Psalms 90, it says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. If you're strong, you can live 80. Yet the best of them 
are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass, and then we what? And we fly away. Now notice, he didn't say, and then we pass away, and then we're laid to rest, and then we fall asleep. No, he said we fly away. That's a direct clue to the rapture. We fly away. You say, okay, well, what's taking place in Israel? Well, last week, I shared with you that in the last 73 years, May 14th of 1948, Israel became a nation. Fulfilling a prophecy in Isaiah, multiple prophecies in Isaiah, when Isaiah said, can a nation be born in one day? Yet Israel was born in one day. He said, can a woman give birth in one day? That's the prophecy. Yet Israel will be born in one day and then the labor pains. After Israel was pronounced a nation, I believe it was five Arab nations attacked it. Labor pains. They've been attacked ever since. Labor pains, right? See, Israel's, uh, Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled. Ezekiel names it to the day. To the day that Israel would become a nation. You have prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to impress upon you that Israel is special. Why? Because God uses her to indicate to us your your Savior is coming soon. Your Savior is coming soon. He says, watch. Take notice. You can see Israel's on a world stage constantly, is it not? And so you say, well, what what, what do we need to know? I'm going to put a a timeline up here very quickly for you. I want everyone to pay attention because this is serious. This is serious. This is more serious than your academics at school. This is more serious than your promotion or your work. This is eternity we're talking about. And the plan of Almighty God. Watch this. Messiah is cut off. This was indicated by Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 to 26. Talks about a 70 week prophecy. A week in Daniel's terms means a 7 year period. When you read that prophecy, it talks about 62 and 7 weeks, which equals 69. That something would take place, a decree to rebuild would take place, and then 69 weeks would elapse, and you could mark Messiah being cut off. Okay, real quickly. Nehemiah gets a decree from Artaxerxes to go rebuild Jerusalem's wall. That's, that's documented. From that time to the time Jesus enters the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we call that Palm Sunday, was exactly 69 weeks. Boom. I've done the calculation for you on the day. That week, he's cut off, he's crucified. Messiah, cut off, crucified. Prophesied by Daniel. Why do you think the Magi show up To honor the prince of peace. Why? Because Daniel was the head of the Magi. They had the prophecy. When they see the star, they know it's the prophecy. The Messiah has been born. I'd be impressed if I were you. God is awesome. God is awesome. But let's keep going. So then that starts the church age. The church age is that gap that Daniel does not address. Daniel talks about 69 weeks, Messiah's cut off, and then the 70th week starts with what? A prince of this world, the Antichrist, confirming a covenant with Israel, and then halfway through he commits the abomination that uh, causes desolation, and then the end of all things. Seal up all of it. It's 
what Daniel says. That's when everything is sealed up. So notice, the first 69 weeks were about Israel. The last week is about Israel. The church is ignored in the middle. Why? Because Daniel's talking to Israel. Other prophecies in Daniel talk about the Gentile period. But this is known as the Gentile period, the grace gap, the gap of grace where God calls in his church. But that will come to an end with the rapture. Watch this. We are what? The bride of Christ. What happens in a Jewish wedding? I talked about that last week, but I want to make very, very strong emphasis on this. There is a week long celebration. A week long. How long is a week? Seven days. The 70th week, we will be in glory celebrating the marriage feast of the Lamb with Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. That's a beautiful thing. Meanwhile, Israel will be called back to him and back to his heart and be saved. That's exactly what we see setting up. And you say, well, well, how can you be sure the rapture takes place this way? Well, I've got a couple of things. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Now, Luke 17 is Jesus answering the question for the Pharisees about the end times. Matthew 24 is Jesus answering the question of his disciples about the end times. Luke is written to the Gentiles. Matthew is written primarily for the benefit of the Jew. Now watch this. This is very, very interesting because you have two raptures that he's describing. You have the rapture at the end of the church age, which starts the seven years of tribulation where he will be dealing with Israel. And then you have the second rapture that takes place after the tribulation when the tribulation saints get taken up to be with him. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. Watch, read with me. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods, he was on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I truly believe what God is saying here is quit holding on to this world. There's something greater coming. There's something greater coming. That's why I'm trying to give you this perspective. I tell you, in that night, there will be two people in a bed. One will be taken and the other will be left behind. I'm just saying, David... David tells me that at night he holds on to Amy because just in case she's taken, he gets to go with her. Can I tell you that's not going to work? 
You got to have your own faith. Amen. Can I tell you, brother David, I've seen your faith. Trust it. Trust it. Keep giving it to God. Keep, keep believing and listen to this. There will be two men in a field. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. And they answered and said to him, where Lord? So he said to them, wherever you see what the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Hmm. Wherever you see the body is there, the eagles will be gathered together. You're going to see Jesus's body in the heavens and the eagles will be far above. That's where we're going to gather up there. But this is what I really want you to see. This is a private, unexpected situation. It's unexpected. How do we know this? Because he says this, it's going to be a surprise. People are going to be carrying about, going about, carrying on business and doing all things business as usual. And then bam, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. Very different. Why? Because that starts the seven years of tribulation. When the seven years of tribulation starts, guess what? It ain't business as usual anymore. That's what you see in Matthew when he's talking to those that will go through the tribulation. Second rapture. Watch this. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give his light. The stars will fall from the skies and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the son of man will appear in the heavens. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Okay, watch. At the beginning of the tribulation, a very private gathering with Jesus, our groom in the heavens. When he comes back the second time, not private anymore, Everyone's going to see it. That's when he gathers the nations to him. That's what happens. He will gather those that came through the tribulation. Which gathering would you prefer? Would you rather go through the tribulation or would you rather what? I'd rather have the church, the church age. Tribulation. And I mean, not tribulation, uh, rapture is what I'm saying. So I want to show you the, the map one more time. Not the map, the, the timeline. So you have a rapture to begin the seven years and you have a rapture to end the seven years. One is private, one is public. One gathers the church, the other gather, gathers the tribulation saints. What else is taking place during this time? Well, I believe that there's two events that kind of happen very in close proximity. And that's the rapture of the church and the war of Gog and Magog. But there's something interesting I need to tell you about the war of Gog and Magog. There's actually two wars of Gog and Magog, so to speak. Or two times that the Bible addresses these wars. They're very different. And I want to share this with you at this point. The war of Gog and Magog... Described in Ezekiel, if you put the Ezekiel 38, 39 and Revelations 20 are two different events. Here we go. Ezekiel 38 and 39 is the war that I believe takes place at the beginning of the seven years. 
Will it happen on this side of the rapture or this side of the rapture? I'm not sure. It might straddle the rapture. The war might start and then we're raptured and that's when it really takes off. This is why I say this. Because what happens to Israel's greatest ally if the rapture takes place? Who's Israel's greatest ally? We are, the United States. The United States. What happens if we're raptured? And there's no more Christians in the United States. They've said that there's about, on the low end, 20% of the U.S. are Christians. What happens if 20% of our population is gone in an instant? This country will be reeling and spiraling and, and, and we're, not even, we're not even consequential at that point. Which leaves the door wide open for the war of Gog and Magog. You say, well, what's the war of Gog and Magog? The war of Gog and Magog is when neighboring nations hate Israel so much that they try to invade and destroy it. Can I tell you, it won't happen. Because even Zechariah says, I will put Israel as a stone, an immovable stone. And every nation that tries to move it will be bruised and crushed. So I don't care how many rockets you shoot at Israel, you're not moving her. Why? Because God put her there. God put her there. God put her there. Now I'm telling you, these wars are very different. Now let me share a couple of things with you. The war of Gog and Magog takes place in Ezekiel. The one in Ezekiel takes place prior to the seven years or right at the beginning of the seven years. Then at the end of seven years, there's another war, big war. I'm just highlighting three major wars, okay? First war starts it, war of Gog and Magog, highlighted in Ezekiel 38. Second war I want to highlight, end of the seven years, that's the war of Armageddon. That's found in Revelation 16. If you want to read one verse that kind of highlights it, it's 16, 16. Revelation 16, 16. War of Armageddon. Then after Armageddon, Jesus Christ sets up a millennial reign. Millennial means a thousand years. He will reign on the earth. This is interesting because you have the king of kings, prince of peace, reigning on the earth. And you're still going to have wicked people rise up against him. Satan will be what? Put in the pit for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years, the Lord will release him. And this is how interesting it is. That Satan is locked up and we're still messing things up. With Jesus on the earth. I don't have time to preach on the millennial, but, but on the millennial reign. But something I need you to understand. Revelations 20 describes the war that takes place after Satan is released. And he stirs up all the nations of the earth to come against Christ there in Jerusalem. Jesus is the commander at that point. Two different occurrences. Why? Because they're different times, they're different places, they're different people, and there's different purposes. Two different wars. One takes place at the beginning of the seven years, War of Armageddon at the end of seven years, and then a thousand years, War of Gog and Magog that's mentioned in Revelations 20. Why do I say that? Because I don't want you to get confused if you start reading and Googling. Some of you are smiling because, yeah, you start Googling, you can get confused quick. So I need you to understand that the war of Gog and Magog is around the corner, possibly. Why do we say it's around the corner? Because think about what's already taken place in Ezekiel. What's, what comes prior to 38? Chapter 38, chapter 37 comes prior, right? 
What comes prior to 37? 36. Now watch. 36 has been fulfilled. 37 has been fulfilled. What's the next step? 38. Should be fulfilled. Okay, watch this. Ezekiel 36, the land is restored. The land is restored. I'll go back to that chart in a second. I want to read the, the verses from, from 38. I mean, from 36. But you, mountains of Israel, will produce branches, fruit for my people. So this is what's taking place in chapter 36. God gives Ezekiel a vision and a prophecy. And he, sees, he says, son of man, rise up and speak to certain things. And in this chapter, he says, speak to the land, the land of Israel. Okay, watch. He says, produce branches and fruit for my people, for they will soon come home. That's already been fulfilled. Did you know that? They will soon come home. I am concerned for you and will look on you with favor. You will be plowed and sown and I will cause many people to live on you. Yes, all of Israel. The towns will be inhabited and the ruins will be rebuilt. I will increase the number of people, animals living on you, and they will be fruitful and become numerous. I will settle people on you as in the past and will make you prosper more than before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all of your uncleanness, right? I will call you. Uh, I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Do you realize God has fulfilled that prophecy? I went to Israel and it is an oasis. It is the breadbasket of that part of the world. Do you realize they even ship stuff to us? I said they have all types of watermelons, cantaloupes, honey. Do they have anything you can imagine? That's one of the things the guide was so proud of. He's like, you name a fruit, you name anything, we produce it here. And he goes, in the, the, the Middle East would love to destroy us, but they need us to feed them. We feed them. Okay, you don't, you don't believe me? Watch this. Mark Twain... In 1864, the famed writer goes to Israel in 1867. And this is what he wrote. He said, the further we went, the hotter the sun got, the more rocky and bare, repulsive and dreary the landscape became. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive and the cactus, those fast friends of a worthless soil had almost deserted the country. He goes on and on talking about how there is nothing in the land. But yet when God decided to fulfill Ezekiel 36, the word of the Lord came forward. Come on guys. And the, and the land came to life. And now if you go to Israel, you will see the blessing of God's hand in Ezekiel 36 fulfilled. Fulfilled. You say, okay, what about Ezekiel 37? Ezekiel 37 has been fulfilled. And most every Jewish teacher will agree that Ezekiel 37 is a prophecy 
that was fulfilled after the Holocaust. Where God was speaking to those that came out of the Holocaust like, like just skeletons. Lifeless eyes. Because of the horror they endured. And God speaks these words. Look, son of man, can these bones live? God asked Ezekiel. Sovereign Lord, you alone know, Ezekiel said. Then he said to me, prophesy to those bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. You will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Let's go back to that chart. Let me show you this chart. The Jewish people and the remnant of Israel before the Holocaust, there was only about half a million people in Israel. And after the Holocaust, the worldwide number of Jews fell by six million. By 48. Now I want you to consider what has taken place since 48 in terms of number of Jews in Israel, but then come over here to the number of Messianic Jews in Israel and see how it went from 23 to 30,000 and growing daily. Growing daily. Is the fig tree blooming? The fig tree is blooming, people. You say, okay, so then what does 38 say? If 36 has been fulfilled and 37 has been fulfilled, what does 38 say? 38 says this, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Okay, first of all, Gog is the leader. He's a He's an evil leader that God will use to prove himself against. So this evil leader, he, he is the leader of Magog. And Magog is found over in Genesis as one of descent, one of the descendants of Noah. And Genesis tells us the region in which he settled in. This also tells us in 38, the region is in the north, which is modern day Russia. He is over the territory of Magog and also there is Meshech and Tubal, which are also in modern day Russia. What do we know about the Middle East and Russia? They're all up in it. And they don't like Israel very much. And so you have a couple of other nations that are mentioned that will be stirred up to fight this war. Turn with me to verse four. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen, your fully armed and a great horde with large and small shields. All of them, all of them will be destroyed. So these are the, the nations, Persia, Cush, Put, Gomer, Gomer, 
and, uh, and Beth to Gomar. To Gomar and Gomer are modern day Turkey. Persia is Iraq. I mean, not Iraq, excuse me, Iran and Syria. And then you have Libya and the Sudan along with other friends of theirs. Do you realize that this coalition is being formed today? It's being formed today. So what happens if America is raptured in the next so many years? It's going to be them and Israel. And that's exactly the way God wants it. Because God is going to stir up these nations. You say, I don't understand God stirring people up. No, God's love is consistent. It's how you respond to it. It'll either stir you up or melt you. See, God's love shone on Moses and Pharaoh. Moses' heart was melted and he obeyed God in humility. Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he what? was obstinate towards God. It's the same sunshine. It's the same love. The same sunshine that what? Melts the wax, hardens the clay, depends on how you respond. And so these, this God will shine his love on Israel. You could choose to be like America and say they are our ally. Why? Because they are our brothers and God will call them back to him. And we revere and honor and love them. Why? Because they are special to God. They're special to us. And we don't compete. We are his church. We are his beloved. And they are his, the apple of his eye. And so we could choose to be, they could choose to do the same, but instead they will see God's love on Israel and they'll get jealous and they will be stirred up with anger and they'll try to destroy Israel, only destroying themselves. And the Bible says that God will come forth and rescue Israel. Now think about this with me for a second. Israel will be in a spot where they can, they can no longer call upon the U.S. They can no longer call upon any ally. They have to call upon the name of the Lord. And this will begin God calling them back. This will begin God calling them back. You say, I don't, I don't understand if, if that's in fact true. Well, let me just show you from God's word. From God's word, you have in the book of Romans. God says, did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, let me just stop here for just a second. We're almost done with this message, but I want to share this with you. You know what I find just humorous? You have so many Gentile Christians that want to be Jews. It's like, what are you doing? You don't have to be a Jew. You know, that's like trying to be your brother. Be you. You know, I have brothers. I have Aaron and Isaac. I don't want to be Aaron. I don't want to be Isaac. I'm better looking. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know a single brother that wants to be his brother. I don't want to be Jew. I'm a Christian. I am part of the family of God. I don't have to try to be like the Jewish people. In matter of fact, I'm supposed to live like God called me to live with so much freedom and so much blessing and so much goodness and so much faith that they want to be like me. That's what God says. He says, make them jealous. 
Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing is going to be poured out when they come back to him. You say, but I don't, I don't know if I should, if, if I should live with that much freedom. Absolutely. Listen to what Peter says in the book of Acts. You have all these different discussions taking place because you have Gentiles coming in to the salvation family of God. And you have the disciples in the known church is all Jewish at the time. They're saying, should we make them be circumcised? Should they have to do this? Should they have to do this? Should they have to do that? And Peter has just been shown by God that God is doing something with the Gentiles and allowing them to come into the family of God through faith and faith alone. And listen to what he says here. He says, did God's people stumble? I'm just going to take the time. Third service can wait. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you and the Gentiles, uh, among you and that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them. That's us. We have the mighty spirit of the living God if you have faith in Jesus. No, I don't think you understand this. By the Spirit of God, the word, the world was created. By the Spirit of God, people are healed. By the Spirit of God, there is power. We have that. Why should I be jealous? I have nothing. What's for you is for you. And you have the mighty Spirit of God, just as he did to us. Listen to this. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. You know what Peter was saying? We're the ones that get mixed up with all these do's and don'ts. They're easy. They just come in and say, I believe. And God is moving in them. Do you believe? For the time of salvation is today. Watch. I'm going to share one more verse with you. I like, I'm misspoke. Two more verses. Jesus says this. They will fall by the sword. Talking about Israel. And will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Till this day, Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. Jerusalem is under what? Control of Israel. It happened in 67. In the Six Day War. So that is part of the, the, the fig tree blooming. But the Temple Mount is still trampled on by the Gentiles because you have the Dome of the Rock and you have the Palestinian armed forces that that police the Temple Mount. Jesus is correct. Until the time of the Gentiles is complete. When is the time of the Gentiles complete? When he raptures his home. When he raptures his home. Listen to what Paul says. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part. A hardening of what? Of their heart. In part, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in to salvation. 
And when that number is complete, God only knows. He has every name written in the book of life. And when that last name comes in to salvation, that last Gentile, then what happens? And in this way, Israel will be saved. What happens? God's attention turns from his church back to Israel. And you see that happening today. You go, oh, pastor, why did you preach this? I want you to come alive. I'm tired of the American church talking about how to bake your best life on this earth. How about we eagerly get antsy in the waiting room, waiting to fly out of here? Some of us are in the airport making a home. You don't camp out in the airport. You say, come on, let's get this thing going. You say, but pastor, what if he doesn't come Tomorrow, what if he takes a little bit of time? Now, I'm going to be real frank. Work your tail off. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, in everything you do, do it with passion and do it as unto the Lord. So work, work your tail off. Do a good job for your boss. Be a good boss. Be a good business owner. Do everything you can. But understand, that's second priority. First priority is who have I shared Christ with? Is my family set to go? Are we packed up? Are we going to miss the flight? Are we ready to go? You say, Pastor, I can't afford to offend my family. You can't afford not to offend them. You say, but, but, but I shouldn't offend anybody. Listen, the gospel is an offense. Don't be offensive. But people get offended when they hear the truth. Jesus promised you that. That doesn't mean you don't share it. You share it. You say, well, okay, it's simple. How will they hear? How will they know if they do not hear? That's what the Bible says. Faith comes by hearing. And how can they know if you don't share? Share the gospel. That's my, I have it up here. That is what this message is all about. The best is yet to come. I'm getting excited. All I know is I'm saying, Lord, help me be a soul winner for you. Help me share the gospel with somebody, Lord. And so this is the sign of our covenant as a church. The Jewish people had the sign of circumcision. Now we can talk about that, the circumcision of the heart and all that. But our sign is very simple. Jesus says, this is the sign of my covenant with you. Whenever you do this, remember that you are part of my bride. Lord, thank you. Thank you for salvation. My trust, our trust is in you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood that washed us white as snow. Maranatha, come quickly. I love you, church. Have a great, great week.